Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... And Mayu. What's going on, everybody? Austin, what have you been up to, man? Do I always say my last name, Austin Ye? No, I just say Austin. Because I just realized you don't say your last name. Yeah, no. My full name, Mayu Ration Tavaraja. Hit me up, people. <laughs> That's how you go about it. There you go. <laughs> people know the truth now. What's going on, man? What have you been up to? Should we talk about this BOC shit? <laughs> BOC shit. Um, oh, how uh, every investor is celebrating because the Bank yeah. of Canada has held rates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had, I had a pretty lengthy conversation with um, Marco, who works on my team, yesterday about this entire thing. And I was just kind of like, honestly, I rather would have had them increase the rate, um, keep in line with the rest of the, the central banks across the world. And I just think right now we're just kicking the can down the road. Like ultimately, we're going to have to hike if the US does. And I think a couple other central banks are, right? So. I think the vast majority of people did not think rates were going to increase this month. I think the overwhelming majority said it's not going to increase. The bigger yeah. risk is if there's rate hikes in the summer, right? And it, as you were saying, it depends heavily on what the Federal Reserve does. Now, there was an interview with Benjamin Tal saying that for every two rate hikes the U.S. does, Canada would do like one rate hike because we're a more leveraged economy, like household debt and everything is way more leveraged in the US. The US is not as leveraged as we are. So the impact of a rate hike has doubled the impact in Canada. So we don't necessarily need to mm. keep up one step, one step because yeah. we accomplished a job doing less. That being said, I mean, it's not great news to hear that the Federal Reserve has increased the target rate and that damn Americans, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I, chill, but they're doing what they need to do. It's yeah. just, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't think we're in the clear. Yeah, I think people are definitely celebrating way yeah. too early. Agreed. Yeah. I'm just seeing people like especially realtors saying a flood of buyers are going to enter back in the market. Yeah, like, really? <laughs> yeah, honestly, know. I'm but, seeing it on the mortgage side as well. I'm seeing um, quite a few people talking, making offers, people that have been on the sidelines for like two months now getting offers accepted. And it could go either way, ultimately. Wait, is this investor clients or? Uh, like, yeah, yeah. Investor clients. Yeah. Okay. Interestingly enough, I guess for us, like we have a pretty active investor base, right? And they're not buying in the big, big, big metropolitan True. cities for the most part. The general consensus, at least on Twitter, I don't know. This is not general <laughs> consensus, Twitter <laughs> consensus with the realtors on there. What they've been seeing boots on the ground from what I've been reading is, is that a lot of like a lot of the activity are home buyers, people intending to live there where you're getting multiples because it's not, let's be real. It's not very... I don't think many investors are going to go multiples against 10 people and try to bid them all out yeah. to win a property, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll see. I do see in like the investors that, that invest far away. It's like properties, okay, they break even instead of like heavy cash flow. And it's, it's just really yeah. a game of let me stack up as many of these as I can, even if they don't cash flow as great as they could in today's market and then refinance in the future, right? I was working on this one property for like a month, like probably like five weeks now. Okay, <laughs> this is so stupid. And it was a fourplex. I think I told you about this. Maybe we maybe we talked about it last week. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned super briefly. You're looking at a fourplex. Yeah, a sixplex. Uh, the, the sixplex fell through, and then there was a fourplex after. But the fourplex, we went back and forth. It was on the market for over ninety days. So I'm like working this. It was at five ten. We agreed on five fifty for a fourplex, two bedroom, two units, all separate metered, way under market rent to ten. So I'd have to go and do cash for keys, all that kind of stuff. Right. And it was going to be conditional. And I told them I'm going to do this during the conditional. And so you stupid yesterday's rate hike. Okay. So we finally agreed on a price on Tuesday. There was email communication back and forth. Cause I was like, I don't want to write this up until like you guys are, are good to go. And then they said, good to go. I sent them the offer yesterday, yesterday night. They're like, Hey, you know what? Like we think we're just going to wait a little bit. I'm like, fuck you guys. Basically just sort of, night, like <laughs> they, they just, they just saw the overall like positive sentiment from the BOC. Cause I spoke with the realtor that's involved in this. And she's like, honestly, they just feel like they're going to get a, a higher offer in like a couple of weeks. I'm like, fucking hell. So maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Fucking waste <laughs> my time, but we'll see. Oh no, that's brutal, man. But it's say they don't get the offer they're looking for in a couple of weeks. Then uh, they're going to hit you back up. Right. And then you, you, you know, the balls in your court. Yeah. I'm going to hit them up with the 10 to 15 grand lower offer. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and then I'll be like, you want to wait again? You want to play these games? Stupid games win stupid prizes. <laughs> uh, anyways, I guess on my end, some updates. I think I mentioned in our previous preamble that we sent out flyers. Um, oh, yeah. And we got 
30,000, right? Yes, we had three deals in North Bay. Two of them we sent out. Both of them got assigned. And we have a third one waiting for photos this Saturday, going to be sending that out as well. Um, so I would say pretty successful campaign to get three deals off of a single mailer is really good. All in all, yeah, that's a good sign. Going to continue doing some marketing, generating leads and sending out deals. They like flip properties. Yeah, like these were flips that I was down to take myself as well. So I know worst case, I'm OK to buy it at my contract price. Mm-hmm. Right. I spoke with the wholesaler, one of the biggest ones in Canada about kind of what they're seeing on their end and what they've done to pivot is, is that they've been focusing on themselves and betting on their ability to be able to close and flip properties. Interesting enough, they sent out a deal. It was probably an hour and a half from the GTA. And I think they were trying to sign it maybe at a 5k fee. So very minuscule. And there was no interest, no offers, nothing on it. They took it down themselves, cleaned it up, listed it and got a hundred K more net profit. I don't know. Maybe it's like 50 K after like all the 60 K, whatever it is. Yeah. But still, like it just goes to show that there's inactivity in buyers right now. And so and there's a huge arbitrage and opportunity, in my opinion, in the off market world. So I'm going to be peeling my eyes for other people's deals. And that wholesaler also told me because they bought the deal. They bought one of the North Bay deals off of me. They said that they're looking at other wholesalers deals as well and has done business with other wholesalers, too, recently on deals with um where they paid some of the assignment fee up front and the rest on sale, like being a little bit creative when there's not too much demand out there. Right. So, I mean, interesting opportunity. It's, it's a good time to bet on yourself. If you feel like you have the skill sets, if you're confident in your ability to be in and out of properties quickly, there are opportunities out there, right? There you just, everyone just wants a, a huge unicorn deal. So you're seeing a lot of like hotel potential properties. When you talk about a two week right now, it's basically like a hotel now. Yeah. Like, it's not necessarily wholesale, I guess, cosmetic, or you need to get a really good cruise to be in and out super quickly. There's good like uh, flips that probably are not going to take longer than three weeks to four weeks to be in and out of the project. But to be honest with you, with single family homes that come in my inbox, I don't look at all of them, right? Like yeah. half of them, I end up brushing off like, what the fuck is this city? I won't even look at it if I don't know yeah, the yeah. city's name, right? But like if I actually spent the time, which I am going to start doing now, and I say this publicly so everyone can do it, but I just don't think everyone is going to do it. To just look at every deal that hits your inbox, just quick, quick, quick rule of thumb analysis, the 80% rule or 70% flipping rule, right? Yeah, yeah. And if it passes it, then do more due diligence on it. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if you had any, any feedback or thoughts on that. I've tried away from a lot of wholesale deals because I'm trying to buy multi. It's just to really replace properties that we're selling off. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in the multi world, wholesaling is, it's not the most in supply. And I find most of the wholesale deals that come out for Maltese are in smaller, smaller cities like Timmins and stuff like that. Right. So I've been focusing more time on the MLS. This is going to be sound, sound really weird and not, not normal, but I've been uh, looking for assignment condos as well. I have no fucking idea why. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, I sold off my condo in 2021 and um, I had a conversation with someone else about this and they're like, hey, do, so do you like the, the condo strategy? I'm like, not necessarily, but like when I think about what would I retire with in my portfolio when I'm like 60 years old, like condos that have no maintenance fees, if I can cover most of the costs, even if it's cash flow negative a little bit, like I'd rather hold those for like super long-term, right? But obviously there's a big maintenance fee risk on them, but I almost locked one up on Monday. It was a two bedroom at Yorkdale like right in front of Yorkdale mall area. It was, uh, the guy was probably like tracky condos, I think. Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So yeah. the problem is those are like the smallest fucking square foot. There's like two bedrooms. Shreddy condos is still relatively new. I think it's 2019 sold. Right. So like there's can't be too much value in that. The guy was selling it at break even. I saw his purchase price. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was now, but what he was asking for was like five fifty for a two bedroom, two washroom, if I'm not mistaken, and a parking spot. Mm-hmm. It was basically break even for him. I'm like, why are you selling? He's just like, oh, interest rates, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. But ultimately, I was just like, yo, it was 500 and something square feet. I'm like, two bedrooms. I'm like, this is fuck. Like, I don't even know who, like, I don't know what the future liquidity is going to be here. And like, sure, like, from a bedroom perspective, it seems great. But from a price per square foot, it wasn't that great. What was as the as price as per square foot? It's basically, it's like a thousand, right? So like, when uh, you look no at it way. as- <laughs> Not in yeah, that area. When you look at it as two bedrooms for 550, you're like, oh, okay, that's not bad. And then you look yeah. at price per square foot and you're like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was torn, but I was ultimately just like, fuck this. And, and I thought I was getting the stupid fourplex, but I was like, fuck that. <laughs> but whatever. Well, the hunt continues. Yeah. It sounds like you have too much money if you're considering condo. So guys, if you have some deals, you'll <laughs> buy them cash. Enough rambling from us. We're going to jump into the podcast today. We have our special guest, Emily Dwyer. You might know her better as Red Glasses REI on Instagram. She's done a really great job 
and branding herself. She's an investor based out of Toronto, but has been focused on conversion projects in Hamilton and Niagara, especially in the Burr realm. She's a mom of two busy kids and also a full-time human resource project manager. And so she's balancing so many things at once. But regardless of that, she's still hustling. She's acquired four properties, three on her own and one with a JV partner, majority of them, which are conversions. This is going to be a fantastic episode for anyone looking to break into the real estate scene. Make sure to leave us a five-star podcast review as well. We're trying to hit 200. We're at 129 right now on Apple. We're on, I don't know, like 100 on Spotify. Let's get to 200 on Apple Podcasts. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Emily Dwyer, or you might better know on Instagram as Red Glasses REI. Emily, how's everything going? Yeah, I'm good, guys. Having me. For sure, Emily. So for anyone that doesn't know you, why don't we start with a quick introduction of yourself and then love to get started with how you got started in the real estate space. Just dig down into each property and kind of how you continue to grow. Yeah, sure. So I'm Emily Dwyer. I have been, I guess, an official real estate investor for a little over a year now. So I purchased my first property in September of 2021. And other than that, that's kind of my side gig at this point. I'm in HR full time. So I have a nine to five job. I have a family of two young kids. I live in Toronto and yeah, just kind of living, living the dream, I guess. Love it. So you've only been in the game for a year. So you've actually scaled quite decently since you bought your first ever property. But before we yeah. get into that, obviously being a mother yourself and having children, uh, getting into real estate investing for a lot of people could be seen as risky, right? Because you have yeah. a lot more to lose now that you have a family to take care of. So was it the exact same transition you'd say, as you probably heard a ton of other podcasts, for you, were you inspired and jumped into it? Or was there a lot to consider? Can you tell us that path of how you got started in investing? Yeah, no, good question. I guess, you know, for sure, there's going to be people who think this is risky, like 100%. I mean, that's, I think, why most people don't actually do investing or real estate investing. I think from my standpoint, I've always been fairly obsessed with real estate. I'm always kind of that nosy neighbor who knows what you've sold your house for and like when it's going up. So like, I know pretty much everything that's going around in the neighborhood from that perspective. And I've always loved real estate and I've moved our family a number of times, you know, to bigger properties and I've renovated a ton of properties. I love renovations. And just sort of hit me one day that like, I needed more in my life. I needed to do something else. I had this great job, great family. Everything was great on paper, but like, I was very bored. I knew that I was worth more and I knew that I could produce more. So I worked with a personal coach last year and I took a leave from work and really just worked on like who I was, you know, what made me tick, what made me happy, what brought joy in my life, you know, all that kind of personal coaching stuff. And it was just kind of like staring me in the face that like, you know, you love real estate, you want to do something really cool with your time, you know, you love, you know, renovating, you know, you love buying properties and the idea of becoming an investor, I think actually it's funny because I think Instagram started to listen to me and you know how it does that. And um, all these coaching program ads started to kind of start to pop up on Instagram. And one of them was Keyspire. And I was like, Ooh, what's this? And then I, you know, clicked on that and did a weekend course, Scott and his team. And then I was like, yep, this is it. I want to do this. And it was just like, it was just kind of an instant thing. And for me, it wasn't risky. It was like, like I knew that I needed to do something else. I knew that I wanted another source of income. I knew that I probably don't want to work my nine to five forever. Like, well, for sure, I don't want to work my nine to five forever. And I knew that I needed something else to kind of bring in the income to support my family and, and so on. So the idea of investing and investing specifically in real estate was just like, yep, this is it. And kind of just started everything. Okay. So I want to know what a personal coach is. <laughs> um, I want to know really? what, it, well, it's completely unrelated to real estate. Yeah, I've always heard of it. I've never really experienced it. I don't know anyone else that has. So this is my opportunity. What is a personal uh, coach? What did you discover by yourself? Yeah. How did you know you needed a personal coach as well? Like when was it the yeah. right decision? Oh, like I should take a leave of absence and, and figure yeah. myself out. Did you take a leave of absence? Like you stopped working completely? I did. Yeah, I did. Really? I took uh, 10 weeks off. But it was kind of in a, a darker place. Like I, I knew, you know, everything again was great on paper. Like job is great. Family's great. House is great. Everything's great. Right. But I'm like, but like, I was just so unfulfilled with what I was doing. And I'd felt that that way for a long, long time. And 
you know, maybe because of COVID, we were home so much and it was just kind of a darker time for me at least. And I needed guidance. You know, like a therapist wasn't going to do it. I didn't need a shrink. You know, I needed someone to kind of help me figure out what I was going to do with my life. And that made me happy other than, you know, all these great things in my life, but I just needed something else. So a friend of mine had, had also done, well, she called it life coaching. She had a life coach that kind of like, hey, let's just break down everything in your life. What's working? What's not working? What do you need to change? Do you need to set some goals? Do you need to, you know, uh, change your job? Do you need to, you know, what is it that kind of help you get out of your rut? And so, you know, similar idea, but I found a, a different coach, same idea, to be really honest. Um, but this person, this coach had more of experience working with corporate employees, which I was and I am. And it was more for, it was all women in Toronto and it was a really supportive group. And so I had my first intake call and it was obviously an investment. These coaches are not cheap. So I had my first intake call and, you know, just kind of let it all out. Like, this is what I'm feeling. I don't know. You know, I don't know how you can help me. You know, can you help me? Like, I know that I'm worth more. I know I can do more with my time. I'm better than this. And she just got me like instantly. She knew exactly how I felt. She's seen this so many times with other women who kind of had reached this part in their career and their life that I had checked all the boxes. I got married, I had kids, I had, you know, all the, all the things, right. But then you get to this point where you've kind of finished all those like milestones in your life and you're just like, now what? Yeah. There's a lot kind of on repeat, right? Yeah, same exactly. Thing, same again. <laughs> yeah. Same thing over and over again. And I'm like, no, I need more. There's something more here. I know there is. I just don't know what it is. Hmm. So I thought about that for a while and well, then she kind of is like, Hey, Emily, you know, we think um, we have a great coaching program. And so she obviously talked me into it, which, you know, I'm very thankful for. Um, so I started right away. And after that, and it was a six month program and it was awesome. I mean, really like there was daily worksheets and, you know, all sorts of different topics and speakers and just really kind of piece together. Like, what is it that I needed to kind of fulfill myself? So kind of just worked on that over the course of months. And then that's kind of when I had this aha moment, like, yeah, my goal is to make money. My goal is to be an entrepreneur. My goal is to have more control over how I make money. And real estate was kind of that thing. But it was like, okay, what in real estate? Do I want to become a realtor? Do I want to become a mortgage broker? Like what specifically in real estate? And and I think the idea of becoming an investor started to kind of formulate a bit. And, and I was like, yes, this is it. <laughs> and so that's kind mm -hmm. of it. So yeah, long story short, that's sort of what happened and how it, how it started. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting journey to get you, uh, I guess, fully invested in real estate. Now, prior to that, you said that you always had interest in investing. The mm -hmm. current house you're living in, was that your only house? Or did you do live in flips where you bought, you renovated, you lived there for a couple of years, sold it and then moved on? Yeah, that is what happened. I didn't consider them like, like now I look back and I'm like, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> um, but it wasn't intentional. It was just like we bought. So I don't know if you know Bloor West Village. So we bought a house there. Um, Amazing area. For those who don't yeah, know. <laughs> great area. I grew up there. So I knew I wanted to go back there. We had lived in Liberty Village for a while. We owned two condos there, rented those out, became landlords again, totally unintentionally. We just wanted to just make sure that our relationship was like the thing, like it was going to work out <laughs> before we, <laughs> we sold our condos. So rented those out. We rented a condo ourselves again, all in Liberty Village relationship worked out. <laughs> and, uh, and then we decided to sell those two condos, which I think you know, looking back, I probably would have kept one at least for sure, just knowing what I know now. But anyway, sold those condos and then bought a house in, in uh, Bluros Village, which was a fixer upper. And so we renovated that entirely, uh, dug out the basement, we did all sorts of stuff there. And then we had our two kids there. We were there for about five years. Anyway, so we bought it around like 640 and we sold it for 1.2, five years later. So Wait, sorry, this is a semi-detached or what was this? Semi-detached, yeah. Semi -detached, this is a Holy shit. Yeah. That's like two million. I know. <laughs> I know, right? Like, exactly. So looking back, I'm like, oh, we should have bought like four of them. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what happened. And so then we moved to this house. We live in Etobicoke now. Again, fixer upper and use the money we made on the proceeds of that semi. And we've been doing renovations ever since. And so it's looking pretty good now. And but yeah, and then then the idea of, of you know, pulling out a, a HELOC on our residence is what made my real estate journey happen. So let's talk about where you went from there, right? Because at this point, you'd hired the personal coach. I think you'd done Keyspire. What did you decide to do after that? And I think your journey is going to be a lot more relatable to a lot of our guests, right? Kind of call yeah. it just like entering into the real estate world. You've obviously done the primary residence. You had access to sufficient capital to get started on your own. But 
what was yep. the steps that you did after that to kind of jump into it? Because it's very easy to say, hey, I just want to invest in real estate. I'm going to invest. But like, yeah, I think a step by step, there's, there's a lot of steps that go into it. So what was that yeah. process like? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Because I mean, really, I knew nothing about investing other than this like two day course that I did with Scott and his team. So I'm like, it's funny because at the end of that, you're just like, I'm going to make a bajillion dollars and I'm going to do perfect burrs and I'm going to do all these amazing things. And so, of course, they kind of you know pump you up and no offense to Keyspire. I think that's great. I think well, maybe at that time it was reasonable, but it's obviously very difficult to do perfect burrs, as we all know. And now that I know that. So I think I what I wanted to do after that was just learn. I knew that I had everything to learn. Like I knew nothing other than my own personal experience with my own primary residence and whatnot. But how do I become an investor? What did I want to buy? Did I want to buy single family? What kind of strategy did I want? What is something that I wanted to take on myself? Like I had a bazillion questions. Really, I was kind of looking for an investment coach or like an investment focused realtor. I knew that I needed that at least. And that's where I stumbled upon Rockstar. So I so signed up for Rockstar, did the whole monthly thing, got connected to a coach. And that's really where it started. So that's kind of where I just started to learn stuff, podcasts, a ton of YouTube videos I watched. There was lots of books. So I just kind of immersed myself in things that, and then Instagram, of course, too. Instagram was a massive platform to start learning and connecting with. But like when there's a will, there's a way, right? You just, you know, if you're interested in it, things just started to open up for you, especially when you're really curious about it. I really just stayed curious, really just tried to connect with people. What are you reading? What are you doing? What kind of sessions are you going to? And just kind of just follow people, what they were doing. It just started to snowball from there. So yeah, that's what how I did it. And uh, yeah, so I did the Rockstar thing, got connected to a coach, and then I've been working with her for over a year now. And we bought four properties together since then. So yeah. Now let's get into the property acquisition. Actually, before we even get into that, did you start branding before? The, for those who don't <laughs> know, on Instagram, as I mentioned in the beginning, your red glasses, REI. If anyone ever meets you in a networking event, you have that red glasses t-shirt on and actually wearing red glasses as well. You're really well branded. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you want to go into that first or the property acquisition, sure. which came first. Yeah. So, so again, back to the personal coaching back when I was doing that leave again, it was like, there's this question, which was like critical for me that the coach asked and she's like, what do you look like in five years? What do you do for fun? Assuming that five years from now, because that's kind of the time frame that I set as to like when I wanted to be the thing that I wanted to be, whatever that is. So, so that was kind of like the time frame. So, okay, cool, Emily. So, in five years, what do you look like? What do you do for fun? What do you do for a living? How do you make money? You know, there's all these million questions, and that essentially was like, who are you as the person you want to be? That was kind of the ultimate question. And then when I started to write down like who I was as this person that I wanted to be. And I can't explain why. And I always tell this, I, I really don't know why, but the idea of me having red glasses and somehow in real estate, it just like, was like in my head and I could not shake it. I was like dreaming about it, dreaming about me with like some kind of sign in front of a house with red glasses. And it was just like this weird like thing. And then when I opened my Instagram account, they asked me for a username and I was like, red glasses, real estate investing. And there it was. So yeah, that's the story. It's just, it's just who I was as the person I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I think you've done a great job branding yourself. And I think branding is a big part of it. And you've created kind of a, like a very, myself and Austin, we just brand our names, right? Some people create all yeah. these fancy company names and, and stuff behind them, right? But I think you've done a good job creating this brand around like the red glasses and, you know, going out. And I think you gave me one at an event that we were at before as well. I yeah. think we took a picture in it, but yeah, we did. So just doing cool stuff like that, right? Definitely very unique, but let's jump into the first property. So at this point you had yeah. kind of set up your branding maybe on social media a little bit, right? But how did you go? What was the first property that you bought? How did you decide on the strategy that you wanted to go down? What was that strategy? And then just tell us about the property. Yeah. So really the kind of the, my very first property, my very first strategy, I was kind of following the, the trends. I knew I wanted to do a burr because I knew that I had this source of funds, my HELOC, you know, obviously it's a limited resource. So I knew that I needed to tech that. And you know, if I was going to buy a property, I wanted to make sure that I could kind of recycle that cash, which essentially was where the burr strategy came in. So I knew that I wanted to be in a position to force a ton of appreciation into whatever property I purchased, try to have the rents cover my expenses after finance. And I knew that I liked renovation. So when I discussed those things with my coach slash realtor, it just became obvious that, you know, a duplex conversion just seemed to fit that mold. And that's where we started. So we started to look for single family bungalows in Hamilton. So again, I'm in Toronto. We were starting to look in Hamilton because it's within an hour drive. It's a really big city and rental demand is really high. And there was some really great, beautiful 
So we started to work, uh, work, well, I was kind of everywhere. I was looking in Brantford, I was looking in Hamilton, and those were the two main areas that I was looking at. I didn't want to go east. I'm more of a west girl. <laughs> so we did the west. And um, yeah, so hooked up with a realtor. And uh, yeah, so we looked for about two months or so for just a, like a, a perfect bungalow. That would be a really good duplex conversion possibility. And this is we September one. 2021, right? Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I closed on it September. I think I, I think it was like a 30 day close actually. So it was really, really gotcha. fast. Um, you know, obviously older owners that needed to be out for various reasons. And so it was a bidding offer at that point. So there's 10 offers and yeah. And then we closed September uh, 9th, September 9th, 2021. And then, yeah. And then that's when it started. So that was my first duplex conversion. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. Cause you've done some yeah. renovations. How did you go about entering into the duplex conversion space? Because there's still kind of like a base level of like building code that you got to understand. Like you got to know what, yeah. what you're looking for. Right. How did you go figure out all that stuff? Cause I'm sure that's an obstacle that a lot of newer investors would face. Right. Yeah. How did you go figuring that out? Was it a lot of like relying on your realtor, your power team members, et cetera, or yeah. uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's exactly how it happened. So I knew that the realtor I was working with had all those contacts. And that's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to work with the realtor specifically, because she had all those contacts. She already had those people for me. I had no idea. Like, how do I submit permits? Who does my permits for me? Who does my drawings for me? I had no idea how to even start it. So I knew that I needed someone who had all those contacts that could just help me with just kind of putting them all together. And that's how we started it. So found the property. And then like the next week we had contractors in to do quotes our designer coming in to do all the designs and measurements. So things just instantly started. And that's only because I had someone who knew that what she was doing. (laughs) So, and I was at this point just learning. I was like, I own this place, but I really have no idea what's going on. (laughs) And it was just part of the learning process. So yeah, I think just that, just trying to find people that knew knew what you were doing and then just follow them and and kind of just. So how did the numbers of that deal pan out? How much did you purchase it for reno costs? Uh, timeline and what did I end up appraising for if you heard it? Yeah, thankfully I did those numbers before we go for a call. Um, so I bought it for 721 and um, I put in about 230,000 into the renovations. So that's both floors. So I wasn't actually going to do the top floor. I was going to do more of like a lipstick kind of just like update on the top floor and obviously do the full two bedroom unit in the basement. I'll, again, all legalized, but then the contractor I was working with, he was like, no, let's just do it all, you know, and he threw in a few free things just to kind of help it along. And I know that he wanted to use it as a showcase for his company as well. So it kind of worked out win-win. So yeah, we decided to do both floors top to bottom and which was obviously amazing in hindsight. And I'm happy that we did it. Yeah. So that's why it kind of ballooned to 230. I think originally I was like, let's just keep it 150 or so. And that could only really get you so much, obviously. But yeah, we did both floors and yeah, we bought it in September. I think we got our permits in November 2021 and it was ready for rent April 1st. Pretty speedy. It was pretty quick. I was very hands off. I kind of just essentially just let my contractor do his thing. I picked out a couple colors and maybe some backsplashes here and there, but really he had everything taken care of. What did you end up on an Airbnb on that? Because that would have been like March-ish that you were refinancing it probably. Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I, I get a bit obsessive about things sometimes. So I put together an appraisal packet for my appraiser. So it was like a Canva. It was like five pages, you know, like before and after photos, all my comparables in the neighborhood. And like the prices, I think I was putting it together in February. The prices were, as you know, crazy and fairly out of control. So February, 2022. Um, but of course, we didn't know that at the time. Or maybe some people, I was like, this is great. So the comparables are very, very high. So we had a lot to work from that. So we put it in. First appraisal came back at 925. So we bought it for 721, put in 230. The appraisal came back for 925. And I was like, no, I was like so disappointed because I wanted it for sure, like well over a million. So I was like, no, I'm not, not going to (laughs) happen. So I was really, I went back to my broker and I was like, this is unacceptable. We're going to appeal this. And so we appealed, took about a month. And apparently, I guess the first appraiser was kind of a junior appraiser at the company. And so my appeal was given to a more senior appraiser at the same company. And it was appraised for 1.134 after the year. So it was a $209,000 difference. 
And this yeah. is with the same appraisal company? Same company. Yeah. Just Usually they'll never, I've never yeah. heard anyone go up that <laughs> yeah. much with the same company. That's yeah, what yeah. yeah. Whenever we're looking for like anything more than like a, like a 10 to 15, 20K maybe like bump, I'm like, oh, let's just go to a different company because you basically you you need them to admit that they fucked up, which like for the most part they'll they'll yeah. never do, right? Um, yeah. Wow, so that that's really impressive. So then at that yeah. point you're you're at a one point one three four valuation. You're pulling out probably all yeah, I think about all of your money. 000. Yeah, I think it was about eighty percent I pulled out. I think after I crunched yeah. all the numbers. So the math I have here is is you're all in about three seventy five. You pulled out about three oh three. So you're. You yeah. have a brand new, beautifully renovated property that is going to be held forever. And you pulled yeah. out your down payment and some of your rentals as well, which is pretty significant. Yeah. It's basically yeah. a 5% leverage model, right? Like you, you, you control a $1.1 million asset with 70K net investment. Mm-hmm. That is really what like the burr is about. I think the mm-hmm. days of like, you know, pulling out every single dollar. Sure. That's great. And everyone loves it when it happens. Right. But all we're ultimately yeah. trying to do is get back to like the highest leverage point that we can get to exactly. Yeah, mission accomplished. So that's great. So you probably got a good, nice cash infusion from there. And then yeah. it was probably just as the market was starting to churn, right? So so where exactly. did you go? How did you navigate the new kind of market cycle that you were in? Or yeah. before you even get to that, yeah. like you purchased four properties, right? And that refi happened in April. Like you were buying yeah. as you were doing the work yeah. for this property too. Oh, you were? Oh, sure. I, I didn't know yeah. that. I kept like, like, Can we talk about that first? That's very sure. interesting. Okay. Okay. First property, a lot to learn but you already are actively seeking for your next project as yeah. well. What's the thought process? At this point, I was like, this is the coolest thing. I mean, we didn't do the refi at that point. We had the expectation that we were going to do fairly well for the refi. Obviously, we did a lot better than we actually anticipated when I first purchased it. But I wanted to be really aggressive and I still want to be. I'm still very aggressive with that. So we bought that one in September. My parents saw what I was doing and they're like, maybe we want to get in on this. So they decided to buy a property with me. I was the active partner and they're the ones on title. So we bought their house, again, duplex conversion in Hamilton. We bought that in November of 2021. So a couple months later, and then that one closed January, 2022. So bought that one. And then I bought another one again in that time frame, And this was under my name. And I bought that one. Oh my gosh, can't remember right now. Um, I think it was also in October. I think I bought that in October, actually. And then that one closed in, in January 9th. So basically, I bought three properties within a span of three months. Two were mine. One was a JV with my parents. And I had three renovations going at the same time for several months. So I got a couple of questions here. Yeah. Just based on what you're telling me, the parents stuff, that sounds great. And I think it's a yeah. great way of how you continue to scale up, right? You tell people in your yeah. immediate circle first, people that know and trust you, those are most likely to be the ones that JV with you at first, right? Okay. Yeah. Now you had a project on the go. You were now buying another property. You struggled yeah. to qualify for this. And I'm just curious, like what that journey was, because, you know, Hamilton, these aren't small purchases. These aren't like, the two three hundred k no. properties that me and Austin buy these are like sizable mortgages <laughs> and yeah yeah I qualified it qualified for it with Scotia so that was a St Catharines one so the one that I bought in October okay it was a vacant duplex in St Catharines so the price point was significantly lower than the one in okay. Hamilton and I bought that for four ninety that one and okay. that was a vacant duplex but it needed a ton of work but again I had this HELOC that was helping me with just the down payment and, and renovation were you not nervous at all like you're now three projects in. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of arrangement you had with your parents, but arguably if they had a significant net investment, you probably got to save face somehow and reimburse them for some stuff. Right. Um, so were you not at yeah. all nervous uh, kind of jumping into three projects within about three months kind of, right? Like, no, I wasn't, <laughs> maybe I should have been, but I wasn't. Cause I was like, <laughs> I just like loved it so much. I just wanted to do, I want to do more. I was actually like, at the time it was like, okay, let's just like, let's just, you know, let's just do three for now. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then I knew that I might, Carrying capacity was like pretty much decimated at that point. Uh, so like, even if I wanted to buy another one, I couldn't, you know, unless I did JV. But three was a lot. It got pretty hairy, you know, during the renovations. Cause obviously the purchase is easy. You know, you find it, you buy it. And then it closed a couple months. There was a lot of time there where there was nothing happening until they were closed. So until I closed on the deal. And I knew that my contractor was really strong. So really I was very hands-off with a lot of the renovations and we would go and make the scope of work and whatnot. The one in St. Catharines, I didn't need permits for. It was already a duplex, like it was already a legal duplex with the city and it just needed renovations. So again, that yeah. wasn't as complicated. It was just, we want to do baths, new kitchens, do flooring. 
there were hiccups we found, unfortunately, and that started to where the stress started to come in. But going into the projects, I knew that they were manageable. I knew I had really good team members who were self-sufficient and I didn't need to really be site or, or active. Really. So at this point, the first project did really well. Your timing was impeccable, right? Arguably the second project and the third project, you probably weren't able to refinance at the peak. Right. But what happened with those projects? How did that go? Yeah, good question. So the property with my parents, we actually did not end up refining at all. So we didn't really need to. They don't want to buy another house until later down the road. So they didn't need that capital back. So we just kind of left that one as is. And we did the renovations. The renovation was actually super simple with that one because it was already essentially renovated. It was a turnkey property in Hamilton and had been in the market for over a month before we started to look for it. And we were the only ones who had bid for it. It was beautiful. And I can talk about that more a bit, but yeah, so that yeah. was kind of an easy one. Yeah. So I, I want to dig into that a little bit. Just, uh, I, yeah. I know there's a couple more things we got to make sure we get through, but yeah. turnkey properties investing, like why did you guys decide to go turnkey? What was that experience? Like what's like, I guess the profile that led you to go turnkey? Cause most people that are want to be investors don't go yeah. that approach. So I'll say it was turnkey. I mean, technically it was turnkey. So if you were an end user and you were just looking to live there, it was turnkey for you. Now we knew that we wanted to do a duplex conversion though with but it was in such great condition that the renovations were so minimal that we knew that it was going to be a very fast renovation and not a lot of capital would be involved to do it. So that technically was a duplex renovation, our duplex conversion project. And we only spent about $85,000 for that one. Really, really cheap. Yeah. So that was a simple one, actually. Yeah. So we closed on that one in end of January, 2022. And then we had it rented out June 1st. Gotcha. Awesome. Okay. And then what happened yeah. to St. Catherine's one real quick? Yeah, the St. Catherine's. So we had some hiccups with that renovation for sure. There were some surprises that we found within the walls and the plumbing. Essentially, the plumbing was held together by vacuum pipes, we found out. Mm-hmm. So uh, not, you know, there's no legitimacy there. And knob and tube, we had an inspection, but nothing came up with the inspection. So it was a bit of a surprise when we started to do some of the renovations. And the market started to turn significantly at that point. I knew that my refi was not going to be as strong as I had thought, which happens. And obviously, as a new investor, I knew it was about time where I was going to you know, start to hit some complications and start to kind of learn the hard way for certain things, which this one was. So I decided to flip that one and decided to sell that one. We started the renovations in January, had a, a ton of issues with it. It was supposed to be a really quick renovation. It just ended up not being because of issues. And then I sold that one in July 2022. And I think I made a profit of 20K on that one after everything. Nothing horrible. I still made money on it, but it wasn't a huge win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I made $3,000 on a project once that I held for three <laughs> years. So, I mean, nothing mm. to be embarrassed about. I'm still making 20K <laughs> when the market turned the way it did. Yeah. I still think that's super impressive. Yeah. I think that's the volume about the deal as well, right? A lot of the time, like people are losing money right now. I've lost a bit of money too. Yeah. But it's just the reality of real estate investing, right? Yeah. I just had a quick question about... Um, I guess obstacles, being a newer investor, getting into your three projects really quickly. Obviously, there's a lot of obstacles that come with it. You mentioned a couple on the older properties like St. Catharines, like a lot of the time they have hidden things behind the wall. But what other obstacles did you come across and how did you kind of pivot around them? Um, So I think as a newer investor, I, you know, I want to trust my partners and I want to trust the people I've hired. And for the most part, I, I have been able to have that relationship. I think I've had some issues with communication and expectations and responsibilities and kind of roles and stuff like that. So that has been a bit of a hard lesson over the last little while. You know, it is what it is. We're still friends at the end of the day. And, you know, I still kind of keep in touch with those partners. I just, I'm not currently working with them anymore. So, you know, it is what it is. It's just how it sort of happened, but still lots of respect there. But, you know, I just had to learn the hard way. And I think I now going through those experiences, I'm going to be a bit more involved for sure in future renovations. Like I am right now with my garden suite build that I'm doing well in. I'm going to be more hands-on with that one for sure, just to be a bit more present and to buy things on my own versus just letting other people supply things for me and, and whatnot. So yeah, and it's a bit cryptic, but <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the, yeah. No, see, there's some stuff we just cannot talk about in public right. platforms, right? Which I think is perfectly fair, but I do think it, it touches on a really important point, which is I think a lot of like newer investors they come in with this understanding or limited understanding of, of kind of the renovation space, right? Unless you've already been working in that space, which is usually where there's a lot of like turmoil, right? Cause you've got contractors that are asking you for no more money. No one ever wants to pay more money. Right. 
And then you've got timelines and you've got holding costs that contractors don't necessarily understand or feel, right? And so it takes a little while to understand kind of everyone's perspective. And I think newer investors often, there's a pretty significant disconnect and there still is a lot of disagreements between myself and my contractors. But I mean, it is yeah. just kind of part of the game and you're operating in real estate where we don't know anything until we take down walls, really, right? Like exactly. you get this yeah. perfect inspection report done, which ultimately doesn't mean shit. And there's a bunch of disclosures exactly. in any inspection report, right? So yep. Cool. Let's talk about this garden suite. You just mentioned that it was in Wellet. Mm -hmm. Did you somewhere along the way buy a property in Wellet? Did we miss that? No, <laughs> no. This is my first venture into Wellet. I actually had Wellet blacklisted for a long, long time because I hated the drive because I'm in Toronto. It takes an hour and a half to get there, sometimes two hours, depending on traffic. And I was like, I'd looked at a number of properties there. I was the price point is much cheaper. And because I have now two properties, well, I had, well, I had two and I have one that I sold. I just wanted something a bit cheaper. And I also wanted the ability to do more than two units. That was my going in. And so I've been looking for a property in the summer and I knew that I needed to do at least three, three units on property. And that's just where I found it. I was looking everywhere. I, I was looking in Brantford. I was looking at Hamilton at that point, And then obviously looking in the Niagara region and Welland was where it, it was. So when did you buy this one? What's the plan with the property and what's the numbers? Yeah. So, um, we closed on the property in September, so almost exactly a year since I closed on my first property. So I think we bought it in August and again, super fast closing and it had been on the market since May. I'd actually looked at it in May, didn't like it, passed on it. My realtor's like, are you sure this is a pretty good? And I was like, no, it's well and I can't drive too far. And there's just a couple other issues that property had at that point and I just forgot about it entirely. And then my realtor was like, hey, the tenant just moved out. It's vacant. They've just lowered the price considerably. We need to jump on this. And I'm like, fine. <laughs> so we went out there and I was like, fine, put in an offer immediately. Got accepted. Actually, I lowballed them significantly from the offer price. Uh, I think it was up for $525. I got it for $475. And it's illegal. So a vacant legal duplex with a giant two-car garage, a detached garage. And that's a really uh, good price. Yeah, really good price. I mean, it's funny because like because it had been on the market since May, everyone I know has seen this property. Everyone I know has an opinion on this property. And so but I was posting it. I was like, yeah, you know, this is mine. And then I got a ton of feedback like, well, I don't like this property because of this. I don't like this property because of this. And you overpaid for it. And I was like, like, guys, <laughs> like, cool. Thank you for your opinion. Um, my thing. I'm comfortable with the numbers. I'm going to do my thing with it. But thanks for your opinion. So it was kind of yeah. weird. It was a weird thing to kind of like buy a property that everyone had passed on. Anyways, so a long story short, I'm going to renovate the duplex and we're going to put new bath kitchens, new flooring, that kind of thing, make it look pretty. Also, what I really wanted to do was a garden suite, kind of obsessed with the idea of a garden suite. I think it's just a cool way to really add value to your property and then obviously create another whole unit. How much do you think your renovation on the duplex part would cost you? Got my quotes. So I got it. So I just finalized all the, the estimates from a few contractors. So the total is going to be about 300000 for all the entire projects. I'm about 100 ish for the duplex. And then I'm closer to 190 ish for the version of the garage. Yeah. I mean, we just did like an appraisal in, in Welland. I think it was like 730 or 750 or something like that for a duplex. So I feel like so the property works as a duplex. It's still a burr. Predominantly, most of your money is a duplex, right? And I'm assuming that's. Yeah definitely a key because the garden suite, when you went into this property, I know you said you want to build a garden suite. How much due diligence did you do to make sure that you could build a garden suite in Welland? What was that pre-purchase process like? Or did you just make sure, hey, the project works as a duplex. If I can build this garden suite, that's a kicker on top. Yeah. So specifically, I was looking for a garage that I can convert to a, a garden suite. So I didn't want to build a garden suite from the ground up. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to more convert an existing garage. And when you convert an existing structure, especially in Welland are a bit more laid back kind of the rules, but some of the setback rules don't apply anymore. So I knew that I had a bit of leeway with just that going in. And because I had a really good relationship with my designer, who would be the one doing the measurements and permits, I got him to just check it out first. And just from a, a setback perspective, size perspective, you know, how many bedrooms can I fit into this thing? Where's all the parking going to go? So he looked at that prior to. So I knew that it was a good, solid place going into. I think I've learned more now. So if I want to do a garden suite in the future, I'd be doing more due diligence uh, now. And that's what I would recommend for everybody. Hire a structural engineer <laughs> before you convert anything. Is there any reason you're not taking from a single family to a duplex to a triplex and then doing the garden suite? 
why stop at a duplex and not make the triplex before putting in the garden suite? Uh, the triplex in the duplex, you mean like put a third unit in the an existing kind of just main house? The garage, like the garage, like you said it was a double garage, right? Yeah. Um, well, technically, well, I don't know. Cause it's so, I mean, it will be a third unit officially, gotcha. but it'll be considered an ADU. So I don't think that they can officially make that a, like, or consider that a triplex, but it will be considered an ADU. Okay. That answers the question or not, but. I don't even know well and probably so. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> this is more so curiosity. I see people doing it all the time and I'm like, mm, okay, why, why didn't you do that? But so garden suite, tell us a little bit about that. What's the cost? Can you build a duplex in the back? Like what's that process like for the garden suite? I mean, I guess you can, we're making this pretty simple. Like I actually, originally I was thinking about severing the property because the property is about 60 wide. So I actually had kind of a severance expert to just check out the property to see if I could sever it. And if I could sever it, then that would open up an entire different kind of ball game with that property. So I would likely have the duplex on the one side. I'd probably build another entire house, whether it be a duplex, triplex on the other side, but the size just didn't work out. The two sides would have just been too small and I wouldn't have gotten approval, I don't think, for it. So I made this one super simple, to be honest. So it's just going to be a simple didn't say simple, but I mean, it is a simple kind of garden suite, you know, garage conversion. So that's kind of where I stopped at it. I could have made it complicated. I could have just tore it down and maybe built something bigger, maybe a two story, but I kept the existing structure of the garage and we're just converting the inside into a two bedroom. So what made you want to do a garden suite? Cause you mentioned that it was something that was on your radar. You were committed to yeah. it. You wanted to jump into it. Was it a financial decision as in be like, okay, the numbers are going to be very juicy or is it more of a challenge for you to take on kind of the next step of your investing journey? Yeah, no, good question. Um, I think there's a couple of things. So I know with triplex conversions in a lot of municipalities, it can be really complicated to get into very different kind of building codes. There's just different requirements from the building structural perspective, HVAC, fire separation. It just becomes really complicated. With Hamilton, it's really hard to find bylaws that allow for a triplex conversion. Like they're very kind of specific. Although now it's a little easier because they have, they're, they are changing the bylaws a little bit, but I think you're still running into those building code issues. So I knew from the very get-go that I needed more than two units to be able to make cash flow. So I knew that I wanted to do at least three. And the easiest, quote unquote, the easiest way to do three is to do a detached garden sweep because that's most of the bylaws allow that. They typically allow, you know, two units in, um, in one, you know, in the existing kind of uh, property and then a detached kind of ADU. So a lot of the bylaws allowed that. And that's kind of where I was, that's what I was looking for. And so again, I was looking for that in Hamilton and I was looking for that in Brantford and then Niagara. And if you're going to do a garden suite garage conversion, the garage has to be quite large. And so to try to find a you know, large garage, you need a big property to, and that's just, it just sort of ended up happening in Niagara because, and Welland specifically, because the, the property that I found was quite, was quite large. Yeah. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of what happened. I think you answered a lot of yeah. more relatable, like we, we've had a bunch of guests on and recently a lot of them have been people that have been in this game for a long time. Right. But coming in and doing what you've done in a year is definitely impressive. So, I mean, at this point in the podcast, we usually ask our guests two questions. So the first is where do you see your business going over the next five years? Yeah. Good question. Oh gosh. I mean, I, I want to continue to build my portfolio and like I've dabbled in the JV kind of world a little bit with just family members. I think, you know, if I'm going to grow my portfolio and kind of grow my expertise in this area, you know, taking on more JVs in the future would for sure be important. Potentially coaching. I love teaching people. I love sharing all my journeys on Instagram. So, and then potentially leaving my nine to five at some point too. So I think obviously that's the ideal is trying to, you know, try to make enough money in the real estate world, doing what I love, keeping busy with that, and then potentially transferring that into um, try to help newer investors with coaching. Awesome. And then I guess the second question is uh, for a newer investor in today's market, just getting started, kind of where you were like a year ago, what's kind of the main risk or the main piece of advice that you have to share with them? If you have any kind of interest in investing, especially in real estate, there's a reason for that. There's something there that's drawing you to it. And yes, it can be scary. Yes, it's a ton of work. Things are not going to just go your way typically. And, you know, when I first started kind of doing those little courses with Keyspire and in a learning. And I was like, this is going to be easy. No problem. I'm going to do these perfect burrs. It's just not possible. And set expectations like that on yourself is just detrimental. And I think talking to people and learning about their journeys and hopefully hearing real stories about real deals and you know, real financials with those deals, just surrounding yourself with people who are real 
and telling you the truth and not just sugarcoating things, I think is really important and being critical. And yeah, I think that's just so important. Just keep an open mind that things necessarily always how they seem, especially on Instagram, because it's kind of a fake world. But if you surround yourself with people that you trust and have a really good network, and that's just the way. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's easy to get caught up in the social media glamour about real estate investing. Even some of the most honest people, we don't share everything on Instagram. But if you see us face to face in a networking event, like yeah. you probably yeah. like you meet people face to face, you talk about problems that's like, hey, I never seen this on social exactly. media. Right? So part of it's also kind of your due diligence of going out there and actually meeting these people face to face because you're yeah. not going to share every little thing of your no, life. On and, yeah. And, and you don't want to seem like, you know, you're failing as a, an investor because obviously you want to you have a reputation to uphold. But like it's obviously it's not always as you see it. And I think you just know that, you know, um, is really important. So, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Totally agree with that. Emily, really appreciate you jumping on this podcast. It's really refreshing to have a guest that's kind of in the beginning stages of their investing, but just based on kind of what you're doing right now, it sounds like you're already an experienced investor doing some cool shit, doing investing strategies that Mayu and I haven't even dabbled into yet. So it's been Mm -hmm. really impressive to see your growth. If people want to connect with you, follow you, maybe they have any questions, want to JB with you, how could they best get in contact? Yeah, at this point, Instagram is kind of where I get um, most questions and feedback and where I talk to most people. So yeah, Instagram is a great place to do that. And then always happy to jump on a call and chat more. Yeah. Well, your phones are going to blow up. (laughs) (laughs) Emily, really appreciate you jumping on. If you guys enjoyed this podcast, make sure to like, share it with a friend, give us a five-star review because we've been, I don't know, like we, it looks like we're hitting a thousand plus listeners episode, but I don't see that reflected on our what, where's that on the ratings, guys? Come on, you got to click on that five-star button. It helps bring great guests like Emily on the podcast as well. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. I love this podcast. I love your preambles. They're my favorite part. I mean, obviously, your guests are amazing, but I love your preambles. I just love how you kind of just you know, shoot the shit and talk about financials and what's going on in the world. It just That's my favorite part. So doing that kind of stuff. Here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the feedback. Yeah. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter, live better. Take care, everyone.